excellence is not an act, but a habit. That is a quote by Aristotle. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 50. Before we get into the episode, I would like to let you know that my book, From a Mess to Amazing, Seven Steps to Create the Life that You Deserve, will be hitting the shelves very soon. I want to thank all of you who have been supportive of me, who helped me design my cover, um, who have just been a cheerleading squad for me. And I'm so excited with this book. It is going to impact and inspire you. I'm very honest and vulnerable in this book and the things that I share with you. So I hope that you enjoy it. The topic of this week's episode is, are you good or are you great? My guest this week is Dr. Elvis Epps. Dr. Epps is the former principal of Florida State University Developmental Research School located in Tallahassee, Florida. His specialty is in educational and organizational leadership. Dr. Epps conducts district-level leadership presentations and workshops on organizational effectiveness and people management. He is the author of two books. Hi, Elvis. Welcome to Trina Talk. Thank you, Trina, for having me on today. Well, thank you for being here out of your busy schedule. Um, very interested to talk to you because I think you're doing some of the same things that I'm doing in life as far as your passion is to help others and to inspire others. So yes. I, I know you're um, an educator by profession. Yes. And you're also, also an author and a speaker and an executive coach. So tell the listeners a little bit by, about yourself and how you came to be um, who you are today. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I believe this is going to be an outstanding, well-informed um, co- podcast on leadership and leadership development and just helping people embrace their strengths. I wondered upon leadership, believe it or not, in 1982 when I joined the U.S. Navy. And I was one guy who loved being in back of the crowd somewhat. Uh, but then I was just thrust to the front when I was in boot camp and they had a guy, you, you call them your recruit chief petty officer. I was excited to get the title until I realized I have to pay the penalty for some of the knuckleheads in the back. And I said, <laughs> I don't know if I like this, but I kind of liked it because, um, you know, people just looking for some clear direction. And just long story short, you know, when I got out of the Navy, I just, my wife encouraged me to, uh, to look at some educational. And I did end up becoming a teacher and, and someone just tapped me on the shoulder and said, I like how you run your classroom. Have you ever thought about leadership? And just, I transferred some of the military leadership strategies and just good old fashioned common sense and just made a part of my package, just being passionate and caring adult on my campus for, um, for students and teachers. And so, you know, long, lo and behold, here I am. And I went to get my doctorate degree in organizational leadership from Nova Southeastern University. Uh, that's after I got my master's degree from uh, University of Central Florida in Orlando. And I've been, you know, a district leader and been in education. Currently, I'm a high school principal here in, in uh, South Florida in Palm Beach County School District. And it's just been a great thing just helping out, not only in the school district, but also been a, a leader in the church as an ordained elder and helping out with the deacons and men ministry and family ministry and children ministry, uh, just helps personal ministry, just helping out wherever I can, whether I'm the, the head or the tail, it doesn't matter. I just like getting the job done. Wow. Well, I have to say I am a Navy person as well. And you know that Navy yes, officers ma'am. go Navy, go Navy. You're also 
um, speak in my language because leadership is one of my pillars, one of the things that I'm very passionate about as well. And, you know, you're an educator and you said, you know, people said they like your style and how how did you get to the point where you figured, okay, this is what I do best and this is how I want to serve others because I truly believe that we all have talents and we were created for something and but it, those talents are not for ourselves it's to help other people yes matter of fact I, I am a strong believer in those people with talents but you know with God when you're dealing in, a, in, in the spiritual realm God gives you the gifts mm-hmm. and what look appear to be very easy to the uh, the teachers in the other classrooms I mean, difficult for them became very easy for me. And the biggest thing that I noticed that I did, it was able to connect with students all walks of life, different denomination, religion, uh, race. It didn't matter. It doesn't it didn't matter at all. Um, I knew how to connect um, with them. uh, and, And I made sure that I didn't shove education down their throats within the first five minutes. I will always, always, and this is a strategy, and I encourage all educators, leaders, if you know you have students from a traumatic background or background that could be, you know, just challenging and in many setbacks they face, you always want to know how are they doing. You want to know how they're doing mentally and physically and have they eaten and been fed. You have to t- make sure you take care of those needs. And when they know you care, then they care about what you're going to offer them classroom. So, uh, and the teachers saw that and they noticed that I had a wonderful approach and, uh, and, and definitely connection with the students and my colleagues really liked that. And matter of fact, they even, you know, nominated me for teacher of the year. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm just a new guy from the Navy trying to do the right thing. So they just liked that. And then the principal spoke some words of encouragement to say, you know what, I can see you as a leader in our schools. And those, you know, you speak the words and God opened the door and I just walked in with the confidence that um, he would take care of me. Mm, That's good. And I love the fact that you had that caring for the children. You weren't just like you said, you didn't just they didn't come to school and you were like, okay, sit down. It's time to learn math. You wanted to know what was going on in their lives, because so many times what we don't know is you don't know what that child's home life is like. Well, Um, the funny thing, uh, Trina, I saw myself in every last one of them. Uh, I often tell the story when I do some of my presentations to educators. uh, I said, if I tell you the number 318, uh, what does that mean to you? No one has a clue. mm -hmm. I said, here's something that happened in my journey. When I came out of high school, I was number 318 out of roughly 350 high school seniors out of Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, to be exact. And I don't even know who my guidance counselor was. There was something about me um, that was uh, approachable and, and wonderful to talk to. But my guidance counselors never sat out with me and said, let's plan out your future and life after high school. Uh, they didn't do that. I can't even tell you who she it was of what her race was, and I'm saying she because we only had uh, female school counselors at the time, but I don't know who she was. So, you know, I just passed. If I got a D or a C in the course, I was excited. I mean, because I didn't have to repeat the course. Mm-hmm. Um, making the honor roll was never a goal of mine. So here I am, 318 in the graduating class. I got on the ship, I made it aboard. And so I was able to set sail after graduation. And I and I and the reason why I say 318, almost 30 years ago, true story, 30 years ago, and I say here's a here's a school district that I was the invisible kid. They didn't even really care whether or not I dropped out or kept going. Almost 30 years ago, Trina, I'm telling you, I'm telling you how God works. I get a call, and I get an email. I get an email saying, Dr. Epps, we've been doing some searching. How would you like to? add your name to the superintendent search for the Jackson, Mississippi public schools. And I'm saying, wait a minute, 30 years ago, I was the invisible kid. Mm. And because I didn't hold anything against me, I mean, I went on to college and did everything. Now here I am, you calling me back to be, put my name in the hat, to be considered a leader. 
in the school, just put my name in, you know, just, you know, be considered for superintendents. And I thought it was an honor. I mean, I felt it was a great honor because I've received a lot of those calls, but I was surprised to get one from Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, that just tell you, you know, just tell kids, it's not how you start to race, but just keep going. Just keep going. If you got a vision bigger than the people who don't see you, just keep going. And that was my that was that's my leadership story. I walk through the doors every day now as principal with 2,400 students. I see me and them, and I don't ever want them to graduate to tell this similar story to any of their children, to anybody who work with that. The school did not know my name. And matter of fact, they said, Dr. Epps, you know too much about us. That's scary. I said, <laughs> I'd rather take that than you saying the principal never knew my name. Wow. Well, I mean, and that says a lot, especially in today's day and age where a lot of teachers just don't care. Absolutely. We, we do have some that's care, but, but they, they want to claim restriction. But I say, you know what? You can regulate all you want. You can't regulate love. You can't regulate what's on your heart. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of them get out of the car. And I can be honest with you. I see it on my campus. Get out of the car, go in the classroom, teach to whatever they want to teach to. School bell rings. They're beating the kids out and they're going home. Okay, mm. you know, and that's on every campus. I, you know, we wish there was some kind of way to, to get them, really get them out of the schools. And, mm-hmm. and, and some of them are just, you know, just above the, the waterline, mm. just above the waterline uh, with the smile. But below the waterline, you know, like in the Navy, uh, if you have some damage or something below the waterline, uh, you have some trouble. You got to stop the ship. Somebody, you know, you really can't see what's going on. But there's mm-hmm. some, I don't want to say hatred is a strong word, but there's some dislike and some standoffishness uh, from some of our educators out there. They just look at people and just says some prejudice out there and just, you know, just look at people and just say, it's something about you. I don't want to get close to you. Mm. And so, and this is what I see as an administrator. And I've been in wearing this hat for 17 years. I've uh, been in public education as a teacher and leader uh, 26 years. And I'm very excited about it. So with you knowing that, what are you doing to change your school? One of the things I look at, and a matter of fact, I always get a breakdown of the students. And my school has really changed and used to be predominantly white about 40 years ago and even less than that. Now I'm at 93.7% minority rate. And I have 34 different countries represented. Wow. Uh, uh, Hispanic at 52%. And then a large percentage of Haitian students and just a mixture of some from uh, Bangladesh, uh, the Philippines, uh, Finland, China, uh, Jamaica, Mexico, Guatemala. And I have the largest population of Guatemalan students in my county. Uh, like I said, I have them from all of, even students that speak the language of Fox. That's F-O-X. I had to literally look that up. I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, what is Fox and where do they speak that? Matter of fact, it's it's found in a native tribe, Indian tribe, in either northern Mexico or part of the Arizona, New Mexico region. Mm. And it is a a language that is fading out because a lot of people are transitioning to a minority language where they can survive. And so we have these things. So the word I want to use here is equity. I want to make sure that when people step on my campus, they feel valued. And I want to make sure that I do that. John Maxwell often say everything rises and falls on leadership. Mm-hmm. So if someone is uncomfortable on my campus or something happens, they know for a fact that is not my teaching, my leadership style. They can come and find me and I will address it immediately. I don't even want them to go home. Find me and let's find out was there a misunderstanding, what has happened. I do address the students when we come to special activities on campus. I have uh, the language. I'm telling you, when you have 34 different languages spoken on, no, no, 34 countries, almost 50 different languages, because Guatemala alone has over 42 different dialects. Wow. 42. And so, you know, I just want to make sure people are safe. And that's the biggest thing. And, you know, you get these concerns when you have all these foreign languages. Um, and no one on your campus can speak if there's an active shooter or if there's a, an emergency and we need a, or our gas line breaks. Will every kid really understand me when I get on the intercom and says, you know, we, this is an emergency. We need to evacuate. You know, there's a gas leak in, in a building. So these mm-hmm. are the things I look for and I make sure that everyone is safe. And 
the language is there. When the parents come on board, they've been respect. Even if I don't even know, no one on my campus can speak the language. We're going to continue to smile and we try to our best as we can to say, just hold on. We'll find someone in the district because we do have a hotline number where many languages are spoken. We just called them up and said, you know, this parent speaks something. If you can, we can put them on the phone and you can speak to them. It could help. So mm-hmm. that's my thing. They have a calming approach, a welcoming and inviting school that's clean and respectful. And I want to make sure that we take care of their needs. And I bet put the best teachers and leaders on that campus. Uh, that's what I want to do, to be the beacon of light in that community. Wow. So I was just listening to you and I'm thinking if you have all of those different cultures there how do what is your approach to teaching the students that can't speak English I I mean are they put in special classes to get them up to speed because you can't just throw them into English and expect them to get it and pass for the next year what is what is your strategy for doing that well when a student comes on board um, according to you know state law state policies they get two years to acquire the English language and try to come up to proficiency they're not they are assessed, but it doesn't count towards a school grade here in Florida. But what we try to do is make sure we get some support from our multicultural department in the school district. If we have a student, they will come out in a heartbeat. They're super supportive and say, you know, we have the student from this country. Nobody on board can speak their language. And they will find someone. They will even go to some of the local cons- um, the consulate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they will try to find someone who can help the, not only the student but the family as they transition to America and definitely to Palm Beach County. And we're 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 one of the driving forces and set the example throughout the um, state on how we are definitely approaching the, the learning and academic needs of all the students. And not only that, we have students that didn't even go to school in their own homeland, their own country. So. It's not unusual for me at my school, I don't know about the other schools, to get a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old who's never even attended school in his or her life. Wow. And yet I try to get them in. And the toughest, toughest thing is they come to a lot of them come to America not to go to school. They come here to earn money. Mm-hmm. And so to try to convince this kid that, and it's all about survival. So that's why I tell my teachers, we can say all we want, but this kid is hungry. This kid mm-hmm. came here with a desire to survive and send money back home so his family can have some food and lights and just survive. And many of my teachers cannot even relate to that language of survival. Right. Uh, because I have a lot of middle class. They grew up middle class. They don't understand that their heart is there. They have a desire to work with this population and they do what they can. But a lot of them have never seen the face of homelessness or extreme poverty. Uh, you know, going without means not only that, and they sleep in the car, uh, they they go where they can to stay with relatives and and they come to school. And true story, I got a kid who came from Guatemala five years ago. He graduated last year. But this kid came to America all by himself. Mom and parents, they still back in Guatemala, didn't speak one word of English. Did you hear me? Wow. Zero. With the support of my outstanding um, multicultural leaders on campus and my guidance counselor uh, who spoke Spanish and we had some assistants who spoke Kajabal, which is the language that he spoke. Uh, we have that support. And this young man, true story, just touches my heart and just I'm just saying I wish I had a thousand of them, more than that. Not only did he stay after school, he stayed after school to get that extra push to learn how to read better and to do things better. Once when he left school, he went home, he ate, he took a nap, and I'm telling you, for three straight years, he worked with his uncle cleaning banks and uh, supermarkets from 11 to five in the morning. Go home, wash, clean, get ready for school, and he was at school at seven, almost perfect attendance. And when he graduated, he passed. He had a standard high school diploma. He didn't get that little certificate saying, thank you for coming. Mm-hmm. He is now enrolled in college. And he also works for the school district, helping students um, uh, who are coming from Guatemala. So now he's the face of that person. <laughs> because I originally hired him 
because I didn't have anyone who spoke his language on my campus. And when he graduated, I brought him Browning back as an assistant. And he was just a hard worker. And then the district says, you know what? We're going to take him from you. I'm like, man. <laughs> but I told him, I, I said, don't be mad. I said, now you get ready to broaden your horizon. I got right. you started. I got you started. But now I want you to go in and touch so many lives. And he does. And so wow. that's just one of my success stories. Wow. That's... That's amazing. I mean, and I have two teenagers in school, but what made you, what made you decide to just shape your school like this? I mean, I know you said you didn't want anybody to feel like you felt when you graduated from high school, but there has to be more. Yeah, there's more. There's more. The, the community has, um, because the neighborhood has changed, the community has changed. I, I am one that. You can uh, you can count me out all you want, and I'm the one who just like proving people wrong. The community school has received a very bad, bad um, image because not only when we have the population shift from middle class, predominantly white, to extreme poverty now of Hispanic, Guatemalans, and Haitian uh, moved into the community, and most of the whites moved out. Uh, I do have about 150 on my campus out of 2,400, but mm. uh, but the ones who stayed and then and then when the Haitian came and this is what I was told uh, and they say about 10 to 15 years ago they had a lot of gangs they brought gangs from their country homelands to uh, where my school in that community and so that was a fear factor and so the image of the school was tainted and is it was a very negative. And even some of that is still around today. But we have done a great job reshaping that image. And every student know if you're not coming to school to learn, tell me, why are you on my campus? And so this is what I have. To, they have to be able to answer that question uh, articulately. They have to answer that and they have to be very clear. Tell me, why are you here? And so if their purpose doesn't match the mission and the vision of the school, then we have a problem. I bring in the parents and they have to explain to me why did they send me a student who has no desire to learn but cause disruption? I said, mm -hmm. we've had enough of that. But I do care because there are a lot of students accounting on me. And I'm only talking about less than 1%, which is less than 24 students. And so we never mm -hmm. seen down to almost like our top 10. We, we had about 10 students. They were just disruptors on mm -hmm. campus. 10 out of 2,400 students, which is remarkable. Mm -hmm. But we gave them their special attention. But there were a lot of kids wanted a safe environment. A lot of students. And I promise them, you come to school and you do your part, I'll make sure your classroom's safe, your campus is safe. I'll make sure no one's going to bother you. That was my word to them. And I wanted to make sure that people would see our school in a positive light. And when you when you take all the blinders down, you can see the beauty of the students who are really the, the school itself. Wow. It sounds like you're doing a phenomenal job at that because, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there are some principals out there who would have been like, whatever, this is a bad neighborhood and or bad school. This is what they're known for. Here's these kids and um, just let them do whatever they want to do. Right. Um, but you took the reins and basically um, gave them rules. Oh, yeah. They, they had expectations because they had some, you know, when I got there, uh, but they were not enforced. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the students knew that. Right. And so, you know, one of my students graduated um, this past May, May 23rd. He came on campus and we were he were talking because getting ready for graduation and they were officially that last week and he was sitting there talking to me and the bell rang and all the kids were in the classroom and he and I were like the only two out and about. And he looked and he says, wow, look at our campus. I said, okay, I'm looking. He said, no, you don't see anyone outside. He said, when you came here two and a half years ago, you said you were going to tighten up on things. You're going to clean up on things. You're going to make sure everyone's where they're supposed to be when the bell rang. He said, a lot of us did, thought we were just another principal walking through, just talking. But he says, we love it. I, mm. said, I said, that was my aim. Because if I show you that 
uh, being average is the way of life, then fool on me because average won't get you anywhere in life. So when you leave me, I want you to, to be so proud. And when you said I graduated from Lake Worth High School and people said, wow, I know your principal. So I know you a great kid coming out. And I said, hold your head up high. You graduated from a great place. And so, and that's how they left. And that's just my aim every day. And so mm. that's, I want them to have those lasting memories that when they graduated, they, they, they graduated from a, a great uh, high school. Wow. Amazing. I really, I really commend you. I, I Thank do you so much. Um, it's so, and being a, you know, you being an educator, I take my hat off to you because I know it's not an easy job. No, ma'am. <laughs> I grew up in Chicago, so I'm, I'm a product of the uh, Chicago public schools. And yes. um, I understand that, yeah, things get rough and there's some teachers that really don't care. And then there's a lot that do. Yes. So I really, I really appreciate the ones who do, especially since I have two teenagers in, in school now. Um, it, it makes a world of difference. It does. It does. Because if you reflect back, you can almost... I say, you know what, Trina, do you remember your worst teacher, one of your worst teachers? And you can talk about how horrible this teacher was. I don't know when you graduated from high school. I don't need to know. But that is the lasting impact a horrible negative teacher has in the life of a child. One day, one day in the life of a kid can change that kid's uh, trajectory from where they want to go to they just stop coming to school because they have a horrible teacher. I refuse to allow that. I refuse to have that on my campus. And that's why I wear out two pairs of shoes every year because I'm walking daily. I think I have to see this for myself. So it's, it's, it's just the expectations of principals. A lot of people get caught up in their test scores. We're going to be okay. I'm, I'm talking about building hearts and relationship and, and mending hearts and broken hearts and broken families. Uh, that's what I'm about. The rest of that's going to fall in place. Wow. And I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of that that you have in you was instilled from the military. Oh, even before that, before mm-hmm. that, when I was a senior in high school, like I said, I really didn't have much of a drive. But when I was in high school, there's a teacher named Posey Smith. She's dead and gone now. And she was a and this is how she described herself. She said she's just a short, white, female Jewish teacher from New York. People encouraged her not to go to Mississippi in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And she came down because she wanted to make a difference in her life. And she touched my heart. And here I am a senior. This lady demanded stuff from me, academics, instruction, social development, correct speech. Matter of fact, I told her, I saw her years later and she said she still remembered me. I said, you know what? You taught me what, what it was um, like in, in, uh, about being an African-American male. This is the one white teacher who introduced me to the uh, leaders of the Harlem Renaissance hmm. and Conte Cullen and uh, James Weldon Johnson and, and, and all the writers and, and Richard Wright. I mean, it was just wonderful. Zora Neale Hurston and uh, Nikki Giovanni. She introduced us wow. to their writings. And this, I'm like, wow, how did I miss this? And so she educated us on a lot. We read their poetry. She even told us to write and stand up and express our voices. And so uh, she's the lady who really touched my heart and said, you will go above and beyond. You will not be a dropout. One day she came to school and brought um, high school uh, applications because I've never filled out an application in my life. And so she filled it out and she made us remember. She said, you, you take the school mailing address and her personal home mailing address. She gave it to all 150 of her students. She said, you can always use me as a reference. And because I remembered it and she drilled it in, into our heads every day, uh, when I was in the Navy, I, uh, I went to visit her when I was home one time. And I remember her address and I could just spout it out right now. And I went up to her home and I knocked on her door and she said, Elvis, I said, how in the world are you still remember me? It's 20 years. <laughs> and she said, how could I forget you? You know, class clown. But I was a funny guy. Mm-hmm. But she said, no, there was something about you. And we took a picture together and I still have it today. And I dedicate everything that I, to, that I do to that one teacher who refused to let me slip through the cracks. Wow. I, I love when 
there's someone in your life that makes a difference and you remember that person throughout oh, yes. your life. That is, yeah, that's, that's that what it's all about. So coming off of, you know, your educational background with your school, tell me about, we talked before we went live about some of your, your, what you consider your forte, the things that you are just passionate about. Um, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, one of the things I really love doing is helping. I, I mentor a couple of principals in the area now, um, you know, with my leadership. I wish more school leaders could attend more business and military leadership trainings uh, because they're so one dimensional thinking about school all the time instead of seeing school as a business. Mm-hmm. And I see school as a business and our product are as students. And so you have to make sure that the customer and the product, you know, you, you you're taking care of them uh, to the utmost. But one of the things that we find out that that happens, we talked about transitions. How do I help a student transition from middle school to high school? How do they transition throughout high school and from high school to college, career, military, or votech? Or, you know, or being an entrepreneur, how, how, what am I doing? What, what safety nets do I have in place uh, on my campus that will hold a student up or catch them if they fall? What am I doing to make sure they are leaning in that direction? And so this is what I do as we transition from shaping the culture, and then we're looking at climbing, to now we're talking about uh, how does everyone uh, see their jobs and how, how valuable do they see themselves working with students? who uh, have never thought big or thought about life after high school. So the, the biggest piece I love working with leaders on is the transition piece, but also helping them understand that how behavior, someone's mindset, but their behavior uh, within the organization can make or break uh, an organization. Mm. So going off of behavior because until you said it until we were talking I hadn't really thought about that because I'm big on mindset but then you're correct behavior plays just uh, as important part in that as well absolutely well that's your evidence that's that's the evidence you're looking for a change in behavior because you could tell me, I'm just hypothetical. You can tell me how much you value me, how much you love me, how much you want me to work for you, how much you want me to be your number one customer. But then if you don't call me, mm-hmm. and if you don't tell me this, if I don't have that opportunity to excel, and this is the same thing with leaders uh, as they're grooming their administrative team. If you're not grooming and coaching and modeling the way for these your, your right-hand people, then they're going to figure that you're not valuable. And so the behavior won't change because there's no trade-off. So you mm-hmm. can talk all you want, and I can tell you all the fancy words, but until I get to see you really in action, and then that's how I can hold your feet to the fire. Part mm-hmm. of the evaluative process that I do with my administrators um, is the behavior. I, I don't want you to talk about it. Let's get out there. Let me see you build relationships. Let me see how well you handle some difficult situations and are you man or woman enough in your position to have some courageous conversation? Because everybody likes leadership while you're handing out trophies and patting on the back. But what do you do when someone is not meeting the standards or your, 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 your drive, your goals no longer match uh, a person? And the hardest thing that I had to face is when you take on the leadership team of someone else, you inherited someone else's administrative team. You walk into that and you're like, man. We have new goals, new vision, and these people can't even stand up to it. That's, you know, that's what I'm saying, leaders. But I have a great team. So, you know, for the record, my team is a great team. But leaders step into that all the time, and they want to be liked more so than they want to shift some behaviors and make some tough choices and decisions that, based on your behavior, uh, based on your leadership or lack thereof, your competence or the lack thereof, I can either I use you on this team or I can't. And if I can use you, I need to shift you reassign you to where you really need to be because you thought you were ex- excellent in this, but I prefer, I need you over here. And so wow. those are the things we do on a daily basis. So it is behavior. We could talk culture and climate and surveys, mm-hmm. but until they're willing to shift those behaviors, you could, you nothing's going to move. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Thank you and for th- agreeing me. That's, I've been on that little peach basket for a minute. <laughs> 
No, I, it's, it's true. And that's part of the accountability process as well. It is. You know, how, how are you, you know, acting? What is your output? What are the results of what you're, you're learning and, and how you want to lead? How are you showing that? So I agree. Yes. yes thank you. Then. That's what I, we are. And that's what we have to do. Great. Now you are an author. Um, yes, tell me about your books. Well, these books, it's so funny. I was just speaking to a lady. I did a presentation on um, uh, raising godly children in a secular society yesterday. And one of the ladies sitting in the back said, I bought your book about five, six years ago. Now, one of the books is You Make a Difference, Educate, Motivate, and Celebrate. And the other one is Teaching with Passion and Purpose. I wrote both of those books a year apart. Almost, uh, it took me about four or five days to write both. Mm. And and but but one of them just writing the first one is you make the difference. Just talk about just really just I was just sharing some anecdotal some 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 wonderful notes and uh, poems and some uh, uh, inspirational quotes. But I also told my story in the book. And so, but I wrote that before a <laughs> true story before I, I started work on my doctorate degree. And then when you finish your doctorate degree with all the corrections and everything that needs to be made, I said, well, I need to go back and revise this book. Uh-huh. Uh, but the teachers really love it. And one of my friends who works, um, not friends, but colleagues, uh, worked for the district and he was uh, an assistant superintendent. Now he's moved up to another position out of the district. And he said, Elps, you remember when you gave me that book years ago? I said, yes, man, that's like six, seven, eight years ago. I I gave you that book. I said, I just finished writing. He said, look, I don't go anywhere without it because it's every page, it's, it's, it's something you can talk or share. And so, you know, it's just, just wonderful quotes and well, just some wonderful stories in it just of encouragement. And he, he says when he has to go somewhere and he needs something to speak on, he just opened a book. And uh, it, it was stuff that was shared with me. You know how someone share a nice poem with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got those and I was included in the book and, and uh, reference made a uh, site of the author and stuff. But that's what I did because I got tired of walking around with all my paperwork. But I wanted teachers just to let them know they do make a difference mm-hmm. and, uh, in the lives they make and uh, they touch every day. And so I wanted them to stay encouraged. And that's what propelled me to write the, uh, the next book, Teaching with Passion and Purpose. And so those are the ones that have really touched my heart. And that if you if you if if you don't know what your purpose is, it's hard to define what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so and that's one of the things I try to get teachers to understand. Teaching is a calling; it's not for cowards, and you cannot have thin skin to be an educator when you're trying to educate someone else's child. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to be ready for the mission because there are some days you're gonna want to quit. But when you're passionate about it, no one can steal you or deter you from that. And so that's the essence of the book right there. Wow. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I'm, yes. I'm all about inspiration and motivation. And I, I love when I talk to other people who like that as well. Thank you. Love it. So that is a good segue into my 10 questions that I ask of every guest. Yes, ma'am. So we're going to get started. Okay. Who or what? motivates you my mom believe it or not uh my mom motivates me uh do i need to explain why you can okay my mom is 82 years old grew up in rural deep woods mississippi had a first child at 13 and she had my her first four child children four different men she's 13 years old a mother and by the time I was born, she was 23 years old. I was her eighth child, and she was 23 years old. Wow. Mom never, did I hear a while? Yes. <laughs> My mother never stopped pushing education. Even when we got our diploma high school and gone off to college, she still hadn't finished hers. And she kept pushing, checking homework. And, and you will do. My dad was there as well, but my dad only had a fifth grade education. So education, they, they, they knew about work. They knew about getting out, rolling up your sleeves, going to work and the foundations of education. But they did never experience or understood 
the last and going back to college and taking a look deeper and what a college diploma, but I mean, college degree could, could afford and, and could gain uh, and really help you what doors can be open. So mom really worked hard and pushing and staying on us. Even when I went off to college my freshman year, I said, mom, I don't know about this. You know, I'm an hour and a half away and people are talking funny, you know, I'm Mississippi. I spoke, you know, I had that Mississippi twain and you probably pick it up every now and then. I still, I had it. And I just said, they just think differently. I don't know if I really want to be, no, just stay just one more week for me. That's what she kept saying. <laughs> just stay just for me. Every week it was one more every week. week. Just one more week. Every week. Mom just, yeah, I know, son. I know it's going to be all right. Just stay. And in spite of all of that, she never made excuses. She was always pushing, uh, pushing in the right way. You can do this. You got it. You got it. Just stay another week. Look, it's, you're almost home. Thanksgiving. You'll be home in, in, in one week. And uh, then you'll be home in two weeks for Christmas. And so it's just one of those things that um, she, she stayed on top of us. And in spite of uh, the 12 children she had, uh, she still pushed all of us. Some did not graduate from high school. Some went to jail. Some with my siblings went to prison. And, you know, that's the, that's the, as we say in the South, that's the bed you, 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 you um, chose to sleep in. And so that's the course uh, that they chose. But I kept listening to the voice of my mom and she kept saying, I'm praying for you. You're going to make it. How's it going? I don't care why I was, went around the world when I was in the Navy on, on a destroyer, wherever we stopped. She, she accepted a collect call, knowing it was going to be expensive. But I sent her the money anyway, just to hear mom's words. And I gave her a promise when I was uh, much younger, uh, out of college and just joined the Navy. And I made some promise to her and I kept those, that I'll just keep my head straight, stay out of jail, do the right things and bring honor to her. And so she's my motivation. Wow. What demotivates you? Oh, uh, Just, just uh, people who just think very shallow or low of themselves. Uh, not really mean, but just trying to encourage people who, knowing that you have to go, it kind of takes the wind out of when you're trying to talk to someone who's going down the wrong road. And instead of, you know, holding themselves up, you talk with them and you speak to them and you try to encourage. And so not necessarily demotivate, demotivate me, but it's just discouraging that they don't see the world and they no desire to work harder. And so, you know, that's what I see. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Well, I, I was, uh, before I even came to Palm Beach uh, County, and before I even came to Palm Beach County, you know, we had a new director um, at another school district who came and says, you know what, I can, I can, be, I can be in charge and I can also run the school as well. And I said, oh, <laughs> I said, you sure? I said, yeah, she said, yeah, I can do it. I said, you know, you're coming from this, but this is a tough job. Now, I make it look easy because, you know, this is what I do. But, you know, you can just read the signs, the, you know, the telltale signs that uh, this person really wanted to be, um, have more impact on running the school. Now, here I am, the principal of the school, and this person was a district leader. And I said, you know what, you are, you're new here. And you haven't really sat down to know where the landmines are and what's working, what's not working. But apparently you have your mind made up on something. And I just said, you know what? I can go anywhere and get a job. I'm at that place now in my life and career where I have options. And I can get a job simply by making phone calls and I can get a job. And lo and behold, that's how I ended up down here. I just started calling my friends and connections and look, I need a would you have anything open for someone with my skill set? Well, lo and behold, I ended up down here in South Florida, and it worked out great. Not only am I making almost that and a half what I was making there, uh, but the opportunities to meet people such as yourself and other leaders and just to uh, touch the lives of these students, um, it worked out in my favor. And one of the things I, I, I noticed, Trina, my wife told me, she says, sometimes you get so comfortable in a position that when God wants you to go to the next level, you will put up a resistance. She, she was just speaking in general, giving me some words of encouragement. And if he doesn't make it uncomfortable for you and make sure that door is closed, you would never entertain a go where he says go. 
And mm-hmm. I said, you know what, dear? You're absolutely right. So she said, don't fight where God is trying to go. You looking at the wrong person. If you put your eyes on God and you lean in that direction and lo and behold, she was right again for the 18th million time. She was <laughs> right. And 30 years of marriage would teach you to yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. But, but she was right. And so, and, and lo and behold, I landed where God really wanted me to be. Not realizing where I was before here was a bus stop. Mm-hmm. But God said, I have a destination where I really want you. Mm. Yeah, I believe in that. I, I had one of those as well. Um, what is your fear? I fear that, you know, I have um, just a reluctance. I, you know, I'm looking at three, three more years, three and a half more years before I hit my 30 year and retire that uh I'm, I probably have missed some opportunities of uh, I really want my school to become a national model school. And I want to make sure I do everything possible in my three and a half years uh, left before I hit 30, uh, my 30 year mark. And so, so sometimes my, my fear is that uh, I'm, I'm pushing some people so hard, you know, the ones who really need it. And then I want to make sure that I haven't driven anybody away that really wanted to stay. And uh, you, you, you understand that piece? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, when you, when you start shaking a tree, uh, mm-hmm. your bad apples is your good apples come down as well as the bad right. apples. And right. so you're trying to keep the good apples, but you start shaking, they get scared. And I'm like, man, I don't want my good people to leave. That's not why I'm shaking the tree. I'm trying to get the bad apples out. <laughs> but anyway, that's just my thing that I, I want to make sure that I do all I can in the time that that's uh, God, God forbid. I mean, God grant me that time to do what I can on my campus. Okay. Now you have to listen to these two because people get them switched up. Okay. <clears throat> Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? How do people get that mixed up? Well, it, the next question, they usually answer the next question one with this question. So that's why is there a time when I wish I had done something that you did not, that I did not. Oh goodness. I really can't. Let me see. That's there a time when I wish I did something that I did not. Wow. I just said, I walk by faith and not by sight. I'm just, I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm sitting there searching my brain. Because mm-hmm. uh, everything has worked out for mm-hmm. good, if if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may have to come back to that. But I'm searching my my brain's in the search mode. I can't. Is there okay. something I wish I had done, but it did not? Okay. Train. I'm just throwing a blank there, my friend. Okay. Well, then here's the next one. Yes, is ma'am. There, is there a time that you wish you had not done something? <laughs> Child, you go talk to my mom and my wife. She has a whole laundry list of stuff. You want me to call my wife in? <laughs> there, no. there was a time, you know, we, um, my wife and I have been married 30 years and five years into our marriage. We lost our first uh, child and unexpectedly, I mean, the doctor gave us permission to travel. We weren't even at home. We weren't even in the state. And she just all of a sudden went into um, labor. And we end up losing a kid. And, and I, you know, just I'm asking, this is probably a week later, I asked my wife, you know, what did you do to cause, uh, cause yourself to lose our child? And, and, you know, you open your mouth and you say mm-hmm. something stupid. And like, that didn't sound right. And I knew I heard her uh, saying that, but that wasn't the, my intention. But it was just, I, okay, I did something I wish I wouldn't have. But that was a period where we were growing together. We were both just lost our son a week, you know, a mm-hmm. week prior to that. But it's just one of those things we, I mean, see, I was, uh, we were, like I said, 25 years ago. Our son would have been 25 had he survived. But it's just one of those things that's happened. You say something, and and then you regret shortly after you say it. And so in my maturity now, I've learned to think twice, just like my dad was a carpenter. My dad literally was a carpenter. You measure twice, cut once. So now mm-hmm. I think twice and speak once. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure that I am 
you know, very cautious and mindful before I open my mouth. And if it's something that um, may cause some hurt, harm, or embarrassment, uh, no, I just keep my mouth shut and find the appropriate time and place to say things. Mm. Now, that was good. What is your definition of success? Success is me when you, me personally, my success is when I can help someone else achieve uh, happiness, uh, growth and development. And they've been able to live a better life because uh, my shadow was cast upon them. I've said some words. I helped them uh, put their plan in place. And that's what I do. And, you know, that's also my success is when I see other people being successful. That's my evidence that I am doing the right thing. And that is being a servant to those who need it most. Okay. How do you recharge? Um, Great question. My wife asks me that all the time. Uh, I have to take a step away. I've learned at 58 years old to back away. I recharge simply by being a master delegator. And when I was in my 30s and 40s trying to do it all, I could. I had the energy, the stamina, insight, and could go, go, go like an ener- ener- energizer bunny. But now, as in my late 50s, uh, I make sure that I put the right leader in place to handle the right task. Right people, right results, and happens every time. And so I delegate. And so I recharge by taking off. Time, matter of fact, is even on my schedule. My secretary knows, my wife knows that I have a strong team. I told you earlier, I have a dynamic, I have a dynamic team. I don't have to be on campus every day for the school to be successful. I have to take time to recharge my battery. I have to read and I have to take my brain away from school. You, you know, because every time I'm reading, like I'm reading the first 90 days, and I'm also... Um, reading one of this book, The World According to Mr. Rogers, written mm. by Fred Rogers. <laughs> that has nothing to do, but it has something to do with character. Mm-hmm. But but I'm just reading to take my mind off my stressful, stressful job because uh, that will is constantly turning. There are a lot of fires to put out. And so while serving as, as the chief of fire department um, in my role as principal, I have to take vacation. And, and the toughest thing, training. I kid you not, when you go to bed at night, but your brain is still turning. Mm-hmm. And so this is a tough one. So I have to just work on some meditation, you know, as far as songs and just peaceful and just quiet and just watch some ESPN. And I love classical, uh, classic, uh, black and white uh, mystery mm. uh, thriller. I love those movies. Um, Sherlock Holmes, of course, number one, his old 1940s, 41s, Hounds of Baskerville. Those that category right there in the black and whites in the forties and fifties. I really love, mm. I, I love. Okay. What are you awesome at? Mostly just connecting with people. Uh, I'm able to read one of my, one of the things I really had to master in my role is understanding. And, and I know you're going to get this piece when you work with uh, people. I have over 165 teachers on my campus. I have a total of 250 people total from custodians to cafeteria, I had to understand not only their um, their name and their likes, but their beliefs, their habits, their um, practice, their um, generational differences. And, and not only generation, but geographical differences. Because to grow up in the 60s, like I did in the, in, in the South, is different from growing up from the, uh, in the 60s, someone who grew up in California or New York. Uh, mm-hmm. or Cleveland. And so, you know, these things I really have to take into account. And then I look at the millennia compared to the, the baby boomers and, and making sure I understand how they think. And that's why I said I have to be the learning, the listening leader. I had to perfect that. And, and I really had to really process my thoughts before I open my mouth, because I could say something to someone in their 50s and they'd get it. But a 23-year-old teacher won't get it because I have four or five different, let me see, five, almost three, four different generations on my campus. Now, my youngest one is 22, 23 teacher, and I have one almost 70. Mm-hmm. And so the generational differences, you really have to understand it. And the teaching style is just usually, wow, 
this person really teaching like they did 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you see the young 23, 24, I mean, they're all over the place. They technology here and sitting on the floor and just like, wow. <laughs> and so uh, leaders, I really have to do that. So I have to recharge by delegating and just making sure people do what they have to do. Okay. What legacy do you want to leave? That, he was, uh, that I was a caring leader. Someone who really cared more than just not about titles, because I often tell people you don't you don't have to have a title to be a leader, but just someone who came in, heard their concerns, and just want our world to be a better place. I want my school to be a better place than I found it. And whoever follows me as principal, whoever follows me uh, and in my footsteps wherever I am in three and a half years, they say, you know what, that doctor has really brought it. It's going to be a tough one following. I want them shaking in their boots. They said, wow, I have to follow Dr. Epps. I don't really know. But they'll walk in and just says, this is, this is what uh, I heard he loved touching hearts. Now I see the evidence on his campus or in his department, wherever I am in three and a half years. And that's what I want. That's, what, that's the legacy. And I want my children to say, you know, my dad was an awesome dad. He, he gave so much of himself into us. He was an awesome father. You wouldn't believe that he was gone so many hours, but it seemed like he was with us all the time. Well, my wife to say, you know what? He gave us his best. He, he was committed to the marriage and we know he worked some long hours, but you know, he loved helping people. And that's what I want in the community. And the children said, had it not been for someone like Dr. Epps, we were glad he came into our lives. He really touched my heart. Same way I talked about my 12th grade teacher. I just want them to say, you know what? He left a legacy of caring about those around him. Mm. Okay, Elvis, give the listeners one motivational takeaway. One of the things we have to look at, and you, you, your last question talked about legacy. One of the things I always encourage people, we're so caught up in talking about what's in our bank account. We talk about the inheritance. But if we could just step back from inheritance, because that stuff dies when you die. Those are just trinkets to get you along the road. But if we start, uh, from inheritance to legacy. We start looking at the legacy and what are you leaving behind? Because even when you're gone and you, you've taken your last breath on this earth, there's something about you will still stay around. That's your wonderful character. You want to make sure you're consistent. Your voice is sharp. Your tone is where it needs to be. And people just love the fact you just that you crossed their path and you spoke to them one day because they really needed it. We have to keep our heads up high and we have to fight hard for the next generation. And that's what I believe in. And that's what we have to do on a daily basis. Because the day we give up, someone else who's been watching us will also say, well, if you have given up, what's the purpose of me keep going? So I'm a fighter. I'm out here as a warrior on, on, on this, this, this battlefield uh, for those around me. And I don't have a problem giving my life for those who have little. Because as we say, you know, success, if, if you're not willing to reach down and help you, the, the fellow man who has little, what would you do for those, uh, you know, who, who have something and really need you? You got to be able to stop and do what you have to do. Take care of those around you and just be a loving person. And so we all have that inside of us. If we change our behavior and just start acting accordingly in a loving manner, I guarantee our world will be a better place. And that's what I practice and that's what I believe in. And I'm sticking to it and that's my final answer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, tell the listeners how they can connect with you. Well, you can easily find me at elvisapps at gmail.com. I kept it simple. I did have a website, but I stopped. You know, you work with high school students and uh, people, they like to get hold to your website and hack (laughs) in. So elvisapps at gmail.com. And if you email me and you would like to connect, I'm also on uh, Twitter as well as LinkedIn. So if you want to reach out to me, I'd be happy to reach out to anyone out there. And let's talk about leadership and let's look at culture, systems, and instruction or how you do business strategies. And these things can really help you out. And so, and I really love doing that. And it comes very easy to me. And I want to make sure that I can help the next leader be successful as they transition uh, to their next place. Even if they've been there two or three years, they still can use someone just to call me up and say, hey, and it's all free, just call me up and say, hey, you know, do you mind uh, if I ask you a question? Questions are easy. We can go with that. But then I would love to partner with anyone out there and say, you know what, let's build your organization together. And so that's what I love to do because I have all the resources, but I'm one man who walked the walk 
I'm, I'm, I don't have to read a book to tell you about leadership. So mm-hmm. reach out to me at ElvisFs.com and I look forward to hearing from anyone. And if you want to look me up, look up at Dr. Elvis Epps on your Gmail. You'll be impressed with some of my speeches and commencement addresses and, and, and some of the things I've accomplished in my short time here on earth. Wow. Well, thank you, Dr. Epps. For yes, ma'am. This time with me and um, educating me. So um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed it. And hopefully we can maybe collaborate on something in the future as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm working. My brain has never stopped. And that's what I want to do is that transition is who can I partner with that I can really trust to say, you know what, let's take this thing to the next level. We're looking at organizational uh, leadership and just mm-hmm. talking about just just how do we shape something? I keep saying the word behavior. How do we shift a culture um, from average to excellent and just go from there? Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you and um, we'll be in touch. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Take care and enjoy your day. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.